0: Welcome, Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome to our Smyrna campus. We're glad you guys are with us today. Everybody that's joining us online, we are happy that you've connected with us online today. We are in a series called uh, By Faith, and we're looking at the role of faith in the life of an Old Testament character by the name of Abraham. Well, he's known as Abram at first, and later on, he's known as Abraham. We know him better by that name. Uh, and uh, today we're picking up in that series with a message called Selflessness of Faith. That clip that we just saw is from a movie, it's a little bit older movie now, called It Could Happen to You, and a New York City uh, police officer wins the lottery, the state lottery there. Uh, he had been in that rush- restaurant earlier and didn't have money for a tip, so he told her, this waitress, that if he won the lottery, he had split the money with her, and of course he, he won, and Most people didn't expect him to actually follow through with splitting that money with her. What we're talking about today is how when you truly come to that place of faith in God where you know for sure you can trust him, it's a lot easier to be selfless. With your life, with your time and your talents, your resources, your money. It's a lot easier when you're truly convinced that God will take care of you, that He always has, and that He always will take care of you. Uh, we are examining again how, how faith works in the life of someone like Abraham and we began this series by by looking at how he demonstrated faith when God said Abraham I want you to pick up everything your family uh, everything you got and move to a place I'm not even going to tell you where it is yet I just want you to get up and be obedient and move and Abraham was obedient to that and he started that process of moving his family And then last week, Pastor Mike shared with you about how there was a lapse in Abraham's faith after they had started that move and were traveling through a land. He lied about who his wife was, said that she was his sister, uh, got him into a really bad predicament, and uh, God delivered him from that predicament uh, along the way there and gave him another chance. So we know that even great men and women of faith sometimes have a lapse of faith. They sometimes stumble and fall. And I don't know about you, but it makes me feel a little better about myself because I know there are times where I struggle more with faith than other times. Sometimes I I think my faith is so strong, nothing could shake it. And then Satan goes to work, I think, more than ever when you start feeling a little overconfident like that and tries to get you to question your faith. Well, today we're picking up with this idea that, that after that relapse of his faith, we see that that Abraham is given another wonderful opportunity to demonstrate his faith, and he does so by showing how selfless he could be because of how much he had appreciated God's care and God's provision for his life, how selfless he could be because of his faith in God. You may remember the story. There was a, a bandit from Mexico named George Rodriguez. George would... Uh, would, would sneak across the line, the state line there in Texas out of Mexico, and he would rob banks, and then he would flee back across the line into Mexico, and they had a hard time catching this guy. But finally, one day, the posse caught up with him after he had robbed a bank, and they began to question him, and it's only then that they realized George didn't speak any English at all. And nobody in the posse spoke any Spanish, so they had a hard time communicating with him. So they found a a bilingual translator to come help them. And they told the translator, tell George Rodriguez that we want to know where he's hidden all the money that he's stolen. And if he doesn't tell us, he's going to be hung on the town square. So the translator told George that in Spanish. And George replied in Spanish, uh... I I am so sorry, Uh, I I do not want to die. Uh, I hid the money seven paces north of the town well uh, in a hole that I dug there." The translator turned to the posse and said, George Rodriguez says he's a brave man and he's not afraid to die. (laughs) See I'm convinced under certain circumstances we are a lot more tempted to be selfish. To think of ourselves ahead of others, Uh, especially when we don't really trust God fully and completely. We tend to take things into our own hands to try to make sure we have what we need. And we hold on to things too tightly and we pursue things too strongly that we shouldn't be pursuing because we just don't believe God's really going to take care of us. And we can't even be tempted to cross the line and do some things that we shouldn't do. To try to get money or or things to go our way that we want to go our way. uh, That's not really according to God's plan for our lives. Many years ago, Patrick Henry said this. Give me liberty or give me death. The next generation shortened that down a little bit. and They just said, give me liberty. I think our current generation has shortened it even more to just give me. Just give me. We want, we want, we want. And sometimes we want because we think that's where our security is. And that's what life is all about. There's nothing wrong with those things. But when that becomes the priority of our lives instead of trusting God and seeking God, then we've got our lives out of balance. And we don't walk by faith if we keep wanting and wanting and wanting what the world has to give, thinking that's what we can trust in instead of trusting in God you just think about this for a minute look back over the course of human history every sin I believe at its core you'll find selfishness at the core of every sin we commit is selfishness why are they doing that thing that God says not to do why because we want something We want it our way. We want it the way we want it to happen. We want the stuff that that the world says gives gives life purpose and meaning. We want want it's selfishness that causes us to do things that we do. Just look at the worst crimes you see in our country today. The, The drug problem, right? Selfishness. They don't sell drugs because they want to make you feel good. Why do they sell drugs? To make the money. It's all about that. They don't traffic human beings for sex because they think it's the right thing to do. Why do they do it? The money. What they can get out of it. Even the other sins that it seems to be a little more hidden, but but like even racism. At the root of racism is selfishness. It really is. On all sides, by the way, it's selfishness. We want our race to be cared for and to be, to be blessed and to be the superior in some way. It's at the root of racism too. You can name any sin. And selfishness is at the core of all sin. And selfishness at its core, you find a lack of faith in God. That's at the core of selfishness. We don't trust God enough to do things His way. So in our example we're going to be looking at today, it's in Genesis 13, if you want to open up your Bibles or pull it up on your smartphone or tablet, we'll put these verses up on the screen as well. It's in Genesis 13, beginning with verse 1, we see Abraham faced with an opportunity, he's still being called Abram in these verses, he's faced with an opportunity to either be selfish or selfless. That's the choice that he's going to have in front of him. And we learn in this story that he chooses selflessness. So I wanted to go deeper with that and, and look at the, the process or the progression of selflessness in the life of Abraham. And I believe I've discovered where it all began. The first part of the progression of selflessness is a reverence for God. A reverence for God is the beginning of of the ability to live selflessly in our lives. Let's pick up here with verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. Now remember, he, he left his home, he left his livelihood back, back home to, to go where God told him to go without telling him where he was going to go, and, and he messed up a little along the way. God has you know, shown him grace and forgiveness, and he, he's been blessed even now to be a wealthy person. And I want you to understand in Scripture, wealth is not evil. It never has been taught that wealth was evil according to God and God's word and God's will for our lives. Money's not evil, it's the what? The love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Money can do great good in the world. And people that are blessed with it have a great responsibility to be good stewards of that for the good that God wants them to do with it. And God doesn't tell people you can't be wealthy or if you start getting wealthy, you've got to give it all away. That's not what God teaches in His Word. But he does teach us to be good managers, good stewards of whatever we have, whether we consider it to be great wealth or not great wealth. So, so Abraham is blessed. And we also learn later on here uh, in this this story that Lot was also blessed as well like that. He was wealthy also. That's Abraham's nephew, Lot. He was also wealthy. Uh, Let's look here at verse 3. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Beth, Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There, it says, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, you might read over that, and it sounds like maybe, well, he just stopped over for a minute where he had his tent before. But that's not what that phrase means, that he called on the name of the Lord there. It means that he dwelt there in a period of meditation and worship there. He had built an altar there before, and now he went back to where that altar was. And there at that altar, he took time to call on the name of the Lord. Remember, as we learned last week, uh, Abram had been rescued by God after he had lied about his wife being his sister and got, got in that terrible predicament that they were in. Put her in such a bad place. And, and God had forgiven him and delivered him. And I am sure Abram at this point is thinking, I, I more than ever need to honor God. And thank God. And praise God for what he's done for me. Not only am, am I blessed with, with material things. I'm blessed by His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness in my life. And all too often we take that for granted, especially when we think He's not giving us what we want. We're not getting what we want out of life, and we don't reverence God the way we should. We don't show Him the reverence that we ought to show Him. Now, we can show reverence to God in several different ways. One way is with our time, right? Abram is traveling; he's trying to get to another place, but he stops and he gives time to God to to call on His name, to honor Him, to praise Him. See, time is a precious commodity. Uh, once you spend it, you never get it back. Yeah, and and here's the thing about spending time: you don't. Not only can you not get that time back, but you can't create any more time. You can't produce any more time. You can spend money and still go do what? Work and maybe get some more money. But time, you don't get that back. And and one way you've chosen to reverence God in your life is you took the time to be here today. To assemble with God's family. To to take time out of your life, you had to, uh, some of you at least, got cleaned up, you know, got ready before you came. That took some time, right? Hopefully, you got to bed last night at a decent hour, and and so you could get up and get here and stay awake while Pastor Andy, you know, uh, preaches the sermon, and you could stay awake through it because you got some rest, and you gave some time now to be here uh, to get ready, and if you got kids, it takes a lot longer, right, Uh, more of your time to get here on Sunday mornings, because you got to get not only yourself ready, but the kids ready, and and, uh, wives sometimes have to get their husbands ready, and all of that, you know, so it takes time out of your life to honor God by, by being here and coming around his table and remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. That, that's a reverent thing. That's showing reverence. You're saying, God, I believe you are worth the effort to give you that time, to, that I would spend some time out of my life that I will never get back. I'm going to spend it on Honoring you and praising you and showing reverence to you. But, but I want you to understand something. The time that we give God in reverence should not be just the idea that we went to a church service this morning. How much time should be given in reverence to God? All of it. See, all of your life is worship. Not just the time you're here on Sunday morning. So how you choose to spend your time when you're not here on Sunday morning should also be offered to God as an act of reverence to God. How do you use that time? What do you spend that time on? Would God be pleased with what you're doing with that time? Because that is how you show reverence to God too. And I think if all of us looked at our time spent this past week, we could see some times where, yeah, we were, we were honoring God with that time. We were doing good. But we probably also have some segments of that time where maybe God would not have been Would not be as pleased with how we used that time. But all of it should be given to him as a reverent act of worship. All of it. So we show reverence with our time, but we also show reverence to God with our treasure, what we do with our material possessions. You see, when he came to this altar and called on the name of the Lord, implied in that is the very reason he built an altar. What you do with an altar. You offer sacrifices. And that culture, when they built an altar to God, it wasn't just a statue that they prayed at. It would have a place on it for a fire to be built and for animals to be killed and animals to be given to God as an act of sacrifice, as a gift back to God, to show that you trust God, you honor God by giving Him that sacrifice. And a sacrifice costs you something. You see, the scriptures indicated that the sacrificial animal to be given was to be not a leftover, not a sick animal, not an animal that that you couldn't sell at the market anyway because of some problem with it. But the very best of what you had from your herd would be what you put on that altar to God. You see, it actually costs something to come before God and call on the name of the Lord. And one way you show you really reverence God is you're willing to sacrifice the cost. Materially of what it means to honor God in your life. You're willing to give up something of value. To show God that He comes first. Above everything else. I was reminded as I looked at the story again of, of King David. that uh, King David had also done something not pleasing to God. Uh, back in 2 Samuel 24... And uh, his, one of his advisors told him, he uh, said, uh, God would be pleased if you would go and offer a sacrifice to him at an altar at a particular place at the threshing floor of a guy named Orono. Ar- and David traveled to where Arono's threshing floor was, and he, he met with him, and he said, I want to have your threshing floor so that I can offer a sacrifice to God. I'll be glad to pay you for it. And Arona said, uh, I won't take any money for it. The king wants it. You know, you you could take it by force. I appreciate you offering to pay for it. But because you're the king, I'll gladly give you my threshing floor to to give this sacrifice to God. But you know what David's response was to that in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 24? The king replied to Aronah, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He said, no, it wouldn't even be a sacrifice. It wouldn't be an offering if it didn't cost me something to do this. Sometimes people think churches just want to get your money. They just want to get money out of their members. Friends, the offering is so much more than that. The giving of of anything materially to God, it's about showing God reverence that you revere him as God as the supplier of everything in your life when when churches are teaching you to give those offerings what we're trying to teach you is to show reverence to God and one way you show reverence to God is by a sacrifice that cost you something Is it hard to give that? Absolutely. That's what makes it a sacrifice. And that's what makes it a show of reverence to God. Because it was something difficult for you to do. You see, you're showing God, I'm willing to do the hard things to honor you. That's a greater step of faith than just, as long as things are going good, God, I'll honor you. He wants to be honored all the time, revered all the time. So so we honor Him, we revere Him, we show reverence to Him through our time and through our treasure and also through our tongue, what we say. It says He called on the name of the Lord. God wants to be praised from our lips. He wants us to be people that are not ashamed of Him. And, And I know it's easier on Sunday mornings when we're in here together. It's still a good thing to do. To sing those songs, to... To, to offer those prayers, to, to, to share the word publicly and pray together in a public place like this, that's a good step to take. But God wants the praise of our lips to be continual, not just on Sunday mornings. Are we honoring God with what comes out of our mouth the rest of the time? Uh, is he being shown reverence by how we speak at school and on the job and with our friends and, uh, and all the places we go and times that we're around other people. Is God being honored by what comes out of our mouths? Because that's one way we show reverence to God. And the hard thing is, the sad thing is, so many who, who claim to be followers of Christ will, will praise Him in the auditorium and do anything but that with their lips outside the auditorium on Sunday. There needs to be a consistency between those two things. The Bible says it's with your heart that you believe and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved that you profess what you believe. He wants to be praised by what comes out of our mouths. That's another way we show reverence to God. So, so we show reverence to God with our time and with our treasure and with our tongue. And that's the example Abram is setting and going to this altar and calling on the name of the Lord. He's giving his time and he's, it's costing him something to do this. And he's offering up public praise to God and reverence to God that others could see and hear and experience. You see, he's got his whole entourage with him when he does this. And so they witness the praise That Abram is offering to God. Does your family witness that from you? Do your friends witness that from you, in you, in your life, on a consistent basis? That you're giving your time and your treasures and what comes out of your mouth as an act of worship and reverence to God. Well, the second thing we see in the progression with Abram is this he he not only uh, showed this reverence for God with those things, there was a relinquishing of his rights that we see happening here in this progression. Let's pick up with verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. So was Lot doing okay, materially speaking? Yes, he was doing well. It says, And the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Now if you've got a, a huge number of uh, flock, uh, herd. Uh, of animals of you know whatever animals they had in their herds if you got a large number that requires a huge amount of land that was suitable for grazing those herds and here they are trying to stay together and travel together and bring all those herds of animals with them along the way and it was just too big to manage and there was no way you could keep it together and on one area of land that would keep you together and still have enough food there for all of the animals that they were bringing with them. It became obvious that this wasn't going to work well if they continued to try to travel that way. But there was another problem. Look at verse 7. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's says the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So they weren't the only ones there. So they had to look out for their land. They couldn't just go into somebody else's land or property either. So they're trying to, to manage that well. And there were some family tensions breaking out. Now, most of you have no clue what that's all about. But, but sometimes in close quarters, when you're trying to do things together, especially in business together as a family with other family members... Uh, This will surprise you, but sometimes there can be arguments and disagreements and tempers can flare between family members. Well, it seems that so far it hadn't gotten so bad that that Abram and Lot were really fighting with each other but the people taking care of their herds were having arguments with each other and most likely it was over whose herds were where uh, at what time and you know, how much space are you taking up my herds, my herds need this much space too and they began to have friction between the two family groups there because of that so they had to find a solution to the problem and, and here's what they came up with verse 8 so Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Remember, this is uh, Abram as Lot's uncle, and uh, they were very close, according to Scripture, uh, for a lot of reasons. We'll talk about here in a minute. He says, "Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. So Abram says, here's the, the logical solution. We can't keep all these herds together We're going to have to separate as we travel. We're not going to be able to keep this all together. I mean, it just makes sense, right? That's going to be an easier way to manage all of this and not have conflict because there's a lot of land out there. If we don't stay together, we can spread this out more. So Abram says to Lot, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Think about this for a moment. Abram... Is Lot's senior. He's the older patriarch of the family. Who would have every right to pick first? Abram would. But Abram is saying to Lot, I'm going to give you first choice. If you go that way, fine, you pick that. I'll go that way. But if you go that way, that's okay too. I'll go this way. He says, Lot, you get first choice. Of all the land out here, you pick which part of the land you would like to have your herds in. Had Lot been at the same faith level as Abram, he probably would have insisted, No, Abram, out of respect, because you are my senior and you are the patriarch of the family, you should pick. But Lot didn't do that. Let's look at the next verse, verse 10. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar what was well watered like the garden of the Lord. In other words, it looked like the garden of Eden out there. Like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, so it was in great shape at this time. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. So Lot chooses what? The best of what was available. He looked over at the plain of the Jordan there. And said. Man that's, that's where I want to be. That's the best place for me to live with my herds. The land is great. It will be good for my animals. It will be good for my family. This is the best place. I'm going to take it. It says in verse 12. Abram lived in the land of Canaan. While Lot lived among the cities of the plain. and pinched, And pitched his tents near Sodom. Now that leads into a whole other story we're going to look at next week but but you see a little bit of Lot's heart already being revealed here don't you before he moves close to Sodom we already see that his heart is not a selfless heart but we see Abram's heart is selfless he allows Lot to choose first he allows him to choose the best He doesn't argue, he doesn't complain, he just says, okay, that's fine. Now you have to understand, for Abram, he's risking great loss by doing this. He's risking, first of all, financial loss, because if Lot took the best, that means he's getting land that's not as well suited for his herds, which means they may not do as well on that land, which means he would take a hit, he would take a loss because of that, but he's willing to take that chance. But he's also taking another loss here. You see, Lot's father was Abraham's brother. And Lot's father had died sometime before. And Abram didn't have any children of his own at that time. So what do you think he did with Lot? He took him under his wing, didn't he? made sure he was taken care of we see it played out more in the lesson we're going to do next too by the way how much he had a heart for lot even though he was his nephew he treated him like he was his son and now he just had his son treat him like that the one he looked at as his son treat him like that and that had to be a hard thing isn't it harder for you I mean, people will always let us down. People will always sometimes do things that hurt us. But isn't it harder when it's somebody you're close to that you love deeply when they do it to you? Isn't that a little harder to take? And here's Abram being gracious, saying you pick whatever you want. And Lot takes full advantage of his uncle and takes the best for himself. But Abram was operating on a different principle than Lot was. In Ephesians 4 verse 3 it says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That phrase, make every effort, means do whatever you can within your power to keep unity in the bond of peace. Abram is operating on that principle. I will do whatever I can to promote unity and to keep peace in the family here. If it means giving him the best, okay. I will accept the loss. Whatever loss there is with that, I will accept it. Because the higher priority for Abram was keeping the unity and the peace in the family. I see this played out all the time when somebody dies in a family and the kids are fighting over getting mom or daddy stuff, Right? I've seen more families have bitterness and fights and division over that than probably anything else I've ever seen. Because the highest priority at work there is not the bond of peace and the unity of the family. People aren't willing to take a loss for the sake of peace and unity. You know what I believe is at the root of it? Selfishness. And when it's at the root of selfishness is a lack of faith that God will take care of you even if you take the loss, that God will bless you even if you have been wronged in your mind by somebody else, even somebody that you love, that God would still take care of you anyway. If you act the way you're supposed to act, if you handle it the way God wants you to handle it, you have enough faith that God will take care of you, even if you take the hit, even if you take the loss. I was reminded of a math teacher who was teaching her elementary students about fractions. And uh, she had a little boy in the class who was uh, from a big family, had, had uh, six in the family, and they were a poor family. And uh, he said to her, to her little boy in the class there, uh, said, uh, John, if, you, if your mom baked a pie and cut it into pieces for all of you and your family, what fraction of the pie would you get? And he thought about it for a minute, and he said, uh, one-fifth. And the teacher said, no, no, hear me, there's six people in your family, and if your mom cut the pie for all of you to have a piece, what, what portion would you get? And he said, one-fifth. And she said, no, no, I don't think you understand fractions very well. He says, no, no, I do. You just don't understand my mom very well. She would have insisted she wasn't hungry and didn't want a piece, so the rest of us could have more. Selflessness of faith. You see, real faith in God allows you to be be more selfless. John D. Rockefeller, at the height of his wealth, was asked one time, how much money does it take to be satisfied? You know what he said? Just a little more. If that's where you're trying to get your security... If that's why you're try- how you're trying to feel like everything's going to be okay, it's by how much money you've got, how much will it take? Always just a little more than what you have now. But Hebrews 13.5 tells us this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, that sounds pretty good, except that it's hard to do, right? How, how can we be content and be, keep our lives free from the love of money? He tells us why. He says, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's where the contentment comes from. You see, it's all about faith in God's care for you. When you truly have faith in God then it's easier to not hold so tightly those things that the world thinks is going to give them security. Can you remember when you were a little kid, I can remember, have two brothers growing up, when there was like one piece of cake left, and we're fighting over who's going to get the piece of cake? You probably didn't fight with your siblings, but if you did, you might could relate to this. One piece of cake left, and we're arguing about it, and and invariably, if my mom or dad heard us fighting over it, here's what they would do. They would come in and say, what's the problem? We'd say, there's only one piece left, and I want it, and my brother Ronnie would say, he wanted it, and Ricky would say, but I want some. And here's what my parents would always do. I don't know where they learned it, but it's a biblical principle. He'd say, okay, one of you get the knife and cut it into pieces, and the others get to choose what pieces they get. And man, if I was the one cutting with a knife, it was like all of a sudden I had the precision of a surgeon. (laughs) No way was I going to let Ronnie or Ricky get a little bit more cake than me, right? I'm going to make sure I cut them exactly the same for fear that they might get a little more than I was getting. There's some great wisdom there, isn't it? Abram was saying, I don't care if you get the bigger piece, the better piece, because I trust that God's going to take care of me too. It's going to be okay. Go ahead, Lot. You can have the part you want. In the New Testament, I believe it's the attitude that's talked about in Galatians 2 and verse 20, where Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, you live a different lifestyle when you really trust God. And you crucify your selfish nature and you bring it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you allow Him to rule and care for you and provide for you as He sees best for you. So a reverence for God involves a a relinquishing of our rights. But there's one third step in this progression and that's this. There is a reward for the faithful. There is a reward for the faithful. Remember we started out this series looking at Hebrews 11 and verse 6. You remember what that verse said? It says, without faith it's impossible to please God. And here's what he went on to say. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, if you believe that God is going to take care of his children, then it's easier to have faith in God. It's easier to do those things, even sacrificial things that God is asking you to do, if you believe God is real and that he is going to reward his children. Well, let's look at Abram in verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and to the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there, what did he do? He built an altar to the Lord, God said, Abram, I, I saw what happened. I know what you did. You may not have thought that I was, I was there, but I was. I saw how unselfish you were being with Lot. And because I see your heart in this, I'm going to take care of you in ways you couldn't even imagine. And I'm going to bless not only you, but all of your descendants coming after you. Because of your step of faith that you just took and the way you handle lot. You see, God promises He will reward His selfless servants. Faith allows us to loosen our grip on positions and uh, possessions and power and prestige. We don't have to hold on to those things so tightly when we understand God's got it all under His control anyway. You get laid off, that didn't catch God by surprise. He knew that was going to happen. He can take care of you even then. You get demoted, you lose that title that everybody was so impressed with. God wasn't impressed to start with, with that title. But he might be impressed with your heart and how you respond to that happening to you. Now, understand that when it says God rewards those who seek Him, it doesn't mean that if you give $10, like some churches say, He's going to give you back $1,000 because you gave $10 today. Bam, just like that. You walk out and somebody give you $1,000, right? Now, if you want to give a 1000 and see what ha- happens, that's okay. But, but God's not saying that's the way it's going to work in His Word. But we'll use it for some ministry here in the meantime. What God is saying is, I got you. I got you in the palm of my hand. And there is no force on earth that can ever take you out of the palm of my hand. The Bible says this, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The most secure place you could ever be is in the palm of the hand of God. Whether you've got a dime to your name or not, the most secure place you could ever be is in the palm of the hand of a father who loves you so much that he would give his son Jesus on the cross for you. He would pay that price to redeem you back from your sin. Do you think you could trust a father like that? Do you think you could count on him to take care of you no matter what? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, God makes sure that He rewards His faithful servants. And here's the thing. Whether it happens in the time we want it to happen in the way we thought it ought to happen or not, God will still do this. The Bible says this. the, The troubles of this world, even if we're having troubles right now, aren't worth comparing with the glory that God has waiting for us who belong to Him. He will reward the faith of His servants. He'll do that for all eternity. And He's already got a place prepared for us. That's far better than anything you could hold on to here in this world. And grip so tightly in this world. But you only experience that that trust through faith. Faith is the key to having confidence in the Father. And in the care of the Father. I want to close with a passage that's in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. He reminds us of the greatest example. Abraham's example here, it's a great one, but there's a better one. It's Jesus and what Jesus did. Listen to this. Therefore, he says to us Christ followers, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And then he says this, listen to the selflessness of faith. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as who? Christ Jesus. He says, instead of gripping the things of this world so tightly, have the attitude and the mind, the way of thinking that Jesus had. Well, what was his mindset? He tells us here, verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What's the attitude of Jesus? I'll give up everything for others. I'll let go of it all, even equality with God. You know what that meant? He left heaven and his position as God to be clothed in human flesh, to be tempted and tried in every way like we are. Knowing that when he came, he would be beaten and spit on and nailed to a cross and still he came. That's the selflessness of faith. You know why Jesus was willing to do that? Because he trusted the Father's plan for his life and for us. He trusted God enough to know I can let go all of all of that and he will still reward the faithfulness of his servant. It goes on to say in verse 9, Therefore, since Jesus did that, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's how God treats his unselfish servants. He rewards them with all of the glory of all the inheritance in heaven that he has to give. And that's what he will do for every one of us who will selflessly give ourselves in service to him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today thanking you for the example of Abraham, how he willingly allowed Lot to to take the first and the best while he trusted you to still take care of him. And Father, we saw your faithfulness in taking care of Abraham and his family. Even when he didn't always do it right. Even when he came short of being what he ought to be sometimes. He still held on to his faith and he trusted you for the outcome. Father, there may be somebody today hearing this message who needs to relinquish their tight grip on the things of this world that they're trying to hold on to for their security and allow themselves... To come to you and fully place their trust in you. I pray that they would take that step today. And then realize the joy and the peace that comes with knowing. That they have every reason to have their faith in you. Because you promise to reward your selfless servants. Father thank you for your offer of your care through Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.